0: Anybody ever tried to give a bath to a two year old before? <laughs> Last night I was bathing my two year old son Zach, and Zach's crazy. I'm sure many of you know that. And he hates getting water in his eyes. He can't stand it. He can't stand when water is in his eyes. But he's crazy in the bathtub, so he splashes, and he's crazy in the water, and he splashes and he gets water in his eyes, and then he gets really upset. And Zach can't stand it when I try to wash his hair because he's so scared when I'm washing his hair that he's going to get water in his eyes. So the best way to deal with that is to just relax, right? If he would just relax and trust my dad hands as I lay him back in the water, and if he would just rest in my hands and lay still, then I can pour water over his hair and be gentle and... And nice and smooth. And then there's no water in his eyes, right? And, and he can come back up and he's clean without having gotten any, any water in his face. But that's not what Zach does. Because when you lay him back, he's scared. And the terror um, of the water going in his eyes... Is, is in that moment stronger than his trust in my hand that, that I'm not going to get water in his face or not going to let him go down beneath the water and, and uh, he'll breathe the water and that kind of thing. And so he thrashes about and he kicks. And so then I have to fight him and I'm holding him down Like, got his head in my bear grip now instead of this, like, gentle pillow. You know what I mean? I've got him gripped, and you are going to wash your hair. And I'm holding him down like this, and he's kicking and fighting and water splashing up, and then he starts to cry. And I'm like, dude, if you would just relax and trust me, you wouldn't get any water in your face because you'd be laying back in your dad's head. I'm not going to let you drown. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. I love you more than I love myself, Right? Just trust me. Relax. So I want you to think about that picture this morning as, as we get into Acts. And think about what it means to kind of lay back into God's hand in those moments where you feel yourself going down into the water. You feel yourself going down and you wonder if he's going to hold you. wonder if he's going to catch you. As we just talked about, I, I grew up in the southern Philippines, so I grew up by the ocean. And um, has anybody ever gotten caught in a rip current in the ocean before? So what's the worst thing you can do if you get caught in a current? What's that? Fight it. The worst thing you can do if you find yourself in in a strong current is try to swim directly against it. Or if you've ever been swimming, and this has happened to me before, you've ever been swimming and you cramp up, you get like a charley horse in the water, same exact thing. So if you're ever swimming and you get a cramp, the best thing to do is just relax. If you try to fight that cramp, you're going to go down. That's that's this paradoxical thing about swimming is the harder you try often, especially in the ocean, the more you work at it, the more you you find yourself going down, the more you can relax. Like if you've ever been snorkeling, um, like if you can really just trust the snorkel, like you don't have to work. Like you just lay there. And the salt water and the water, it just holds you up, but if you fight it, that's when you, you feel yourself, you feel yourself going down. My wife's laughing, she. She does not like open water. So I want you to take, take those pictures, and I want you to think about them, because in, in the story we're going to look at this morning, as we jump back into Acts, um, this story, as, as I was studying it this week, I kept having this picture. Um, and this comes from Ezekiel. Uh, 47, where, where um, Peter is being invited into this river. And every step he takes, it gets a little bit deeper. So he takes a step in in obedience to God, and it's like ankle deep. And then he, he keeps going a little bit, and he finds himself up to his knees, and he goes a little bit further, and it's up to his waist. And before you know it, this, this flow of what the Spirit is doing in his life is way above his head. And it's way, way past what he can, can fight against or, or even understand in the, in the human spirit. It's just God's spirit flowing in this crazy way. And what Peter does in a really good way is he relaxes. And he, instead of fighting against this current that he doesn't understand, he trusts the hands of his father. He trusts Jesus. And he finds himself riding the current in this amazing way. You all remember the story of of Peter and Jesus walking on water, right? That was a little bit different that time. What happened that time? So Jesus is up on the mountain praying, he sends the disciples across the lake in the boat, the winds arise, there's a storm, and they're fighting against the storm, and Jesus comes out in the darkness of the night walking on water. It's this terrifying experience. They see him, the disciples see him, and they think they see a ghost. And as Jesus approaches the boat, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, call me out. And so Jesus says, come on out. And so Peter steps out of the boat and he starts to walk on water as his eyes are fixed on Jesus. As he's, he's like the writer of Hebrews says, eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of his faith. He's walking on water. And then it says, but he saw the wind. As the wind was whipping up the water and the waves and the storm, he saw. So he takes his eyes off of Jesus. And as he takes his eyes off of the Lord, he, he begins to sink like a rock. And Jesus reaches down and, and pulls him up. And they walk back to the boat. And Jesus asks him, why were, why were you afraid? So that's a, that's a little bit different of an experience for Peter. When the Spirit was flowing in a way beyond his comprehension, a way that is new, a way that that wasn't possible 15 minutes ago. It wasn't possible for someone to walk on water 15 minutes ago, and here's Jesus standing on water. It becomes possible for Peter, but when he takes his eyes off Christ, he sinks. So all those pictures of water were just swirling around in my heart and my mind this week as I was thinking about this passage in Acts chapter 11. So can can you take those images and kind of store them away for a minute? And hold on to them. Got it? Picture of Zach in the tub. The picture of don't fight the rip current, flow with it. The, pi- the picture of Peter stepping into the river and flowing with God's spirit. Because before, before we get into the passage this morning, I want to do a little bit of a review since it's been a while. Since it's been, we've been in Acts. We took off about a month and a half, two months for Advent. So this whole series, as we've been walking through Acts, we've been asking the question, how does God speak? And how do we hear him? And we did three weeks of introduction into Acts. And in one of the weeks, I was talking about these different ways that God invites us, his people, to hear God's voice. So one way that we hear him is through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The scriptures teach that God speaks through his spirit. And his people hear him through his spirit dwelling within us. Another primary way that we hear the voice of God is through the scriptures. Right. Every time we pick this up, every time we think of it, we meditate on the word of God. We call it the word of God. God is speaking and it's a chance for us to hear and discern his voice. God also uh, speaks through spiritual community. How many people's lives have been positively positively impacted because another fellow believer spoke into their life? I hope that's everyone in this room. Right. Your life has been positively impacted because a fellow believer in community spoke truth into your life. God speaks through community. Another way that God speaks is through spiritual service. As we serve the Lord, God speaks. God speaks as we're caring for the the poor and and we're uh, doing evangelism and serving our neighbor and loving our neighbor. God speaks through those situations. He also speaks through nature. The scriptures say that the heavens declare... The glory of God. And there's such a thing as natural revelation. Romans 1 speaks of that. God speaks through, through nature and through personal experience. Now these two, uh, the nature and personal experience, I would just say that they always need to be submitted to the other ones. So as we have an experience, um, as we experience God's voice speaking through that experience, it's important for that experience to align with the word of God. Amen? And align with His spirit and align with what community is speaking together, and and all of those things. And then prayer and worship, rather than being separate categories of how God speaks, prayer and worship should saturate each of those areas. So as you approach the Scriptures, do so prayerfully, worshipfully, with meditation. Worship the Lord as you're reading the Scriptures. As as you're serving in spiritual community, as you're engaging this time of community on a Sunday morning, or after our service— Prayer and worship should saturate that. And and prayer and worship are two things that show up over and over again in the book of Acts. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to prayer. And that's a repeated phrase in Acts. So in the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and again this is a little bit of review, the book of Acts is part two of the larger Luke-Acts works addressed to Theophilus. So in the early church, they wouldn't have had uh, to they wouldn't have had the Bible like we have, that, that New Testament didn't come together until the uh, mid-third century. And so it was, it was much later that the New Testament as we had uh, was put together. So the early church would have had, in like the first uh, second century especially, they would have um, had Luke and Acts together. In our Bibles, it's separated. So it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then <laughs> Acts. But the early church actually would have had um, those two things together because it's part one and part two. Luke is part one, Acts is part two. So the book of Luke is a theological biography. So it has theology, but it's a biography of, of Jesus, not the whole life in the modern sense of a biography. That's, Luke's not interested in you know, uh, what happened when he turned 14 uh, or things like that that we would include in a modern biography. Luke is interested in the ministry of Jesus, the things he began to do, and teach that taught the way of the kingdom. And then the book of Acts is a theological history. Historians ask the question, what happened? So they're asking, what? Theologians ask, why? So Luke includes both what happened. We believe that that the things that happened in the book of Acts actually are historical truth, that they actually happened uh, as Luke uh, uh, reported them. But the theological purpose Behind his work is the question, why? So a key question for modern readers um, is the question, do you remember that, I, I hope you remember this discussion, is um, is Acts descriptive or is it normative? In other words, when we're reading Acts, and you can ask this question whenever you're reading the scriptures, is what I'm reading descriptive of what happened then or is it normative? In other, in other words, is it supposed to be the normal way that things continue to happen? So as we seek to be a church in 2019 that is aligned with the Spirit of God and we're engaging the book of Acts, are the things we're reading, are we to apply them and live them out the exact same way that they did in the book of Acts? Well, I think it's a both and, right? Clearly not everything that was happening in Acts is supposed to happen today. They didn't have church buildings. They, uh, they didn't even have the New Testament. It was being written um, as, as this is happening. And so there are, there are elements to the story that are simply descriptive of the way that God was working then in that time, in that place, in that culture among those people. But then there's parts of it that are normative. And that what that means is we are supposed to walk that out today. We're supposed to live in the exact same way. And so a key question for us, whenever we engage the Scriptures is this supposed to be how I'm living today? And one of the ways that we can determine if something is supposed to be like normative, this is how we are to live today, this isn't simply descriptive, is repetition. When things are repeated again and again, it's a major clue that this is supposed to be the normal way that things happen. And again, one of the normal things that was happening in Acts, and we'll see this again in the story today, in, in Acts chapter 11, is the people of God were devoted to prayer. Clearly, today, 2019, Parker Ford Church, what it means for us to live in church community, we are called to be devoted to prayer. It's a normal thing. It's a, it's a, it's a normal thing throughout Acts for, for people to be preaching the gospel and, and sharing with their neighbors and friends and family about the way of Jesus. That is normative for us. We are still today to be sharing about the love and the gospel of Jesus with our neighbors, friends, and family. So as we engage um, Acts again in the second half of Acts, uh, the book of Acts shifts from a focus on the ministry of Peter and in and around Jerusalem to the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. Spiritual discernment continues to be a prominent theme, while there is also an increasing emphasis on the spread of the gospel message throughout the Roman world. As we walk through the second half of Acts, we'll continue to observe the themes of spiritual discernment and the kingdom of God, uh, which is our theme for 2019. If you weren't here last week, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the sermon from Vision Sunday. Last week, our theme this year as a church is going to be what it means to live in the kingdom today. As we walk through the uh, second half of Acts, we'll continue to observe the themes of spiritual discernment and the kingdom of God while also taking time to study the life and ministry of Paul. We'll take periodic trips into the writings of Paul as we encounter the people in places that prompted his epistles. So I thought this would be a fun way to go through Acts. As we engage Paul um, from time to time, uh, I'm going to stop and do a sermon from Galatians because this is when Paul wrote Galatians. Uh, At this point, or we're talking about Ephesians. Why? This is when and this is what was happening when Paul wrote Ephesians. So we won't stop and do, you know, a year-long journey through the book of Romans. But we'll stop and we'll take trips into those epistles to kind of look at the cultural um, and uh, what was happening, the context for why Paul wrote those when he did. So with that, let's transition to the word. Would you join me in prayer and just invite God to speak through his word this morning? Father, we thank you for the book of Acts and reading it is like this incredible adventure. And God, I pray that that as we study it that it would have power and life to speak to us through your spirit, to cause us to change the ways we think and to cause us to walk in obedience with you. I thank you for the way that you used and and worked in Peter's life in this story. And this, was, um, this could not have been an easy thing for Peter. This had to be an incredibly difficult journey. But he found himself swept away in the flow of your spirit. And he leaned back into the current and rested in you. And because of it, you just flowed in his life in such a powerful way. God, I believe that, that is not simply a descriptive thing, that is a normative thing for the people of God, to learn to lean back into your spirit, and flow with you, God, and flow with you, and so help us do that this morning, and help us receive from your holy word, God, we pray this in your name, amen. So Acts chapter, uh, the end of 10 was actually the perfect place, and it wasn't my plan originally, uh, it was the perfect place to take a break from Acts for Advent because chapter 11 is review. So this week as we uh, cover some new material in Acts, it's actually review of what happened in chapter 10. And in chapter 10 is when Peter had the vision of the food coming down that was unclean and God's Spirit said, take and eat. And then uh, Cornelius, the Roman officer, an angel shows up and says, go find a man named Peter. He'll tell you about the way of life. And so Cornelius sends the messengers to Peter and, and the Spirit of God says, go with them without being afraid. And Peter goes with them and he begins to preach the gospel in this completely Gentile setting and the Spirit of God falls in the middle of his message and, and then they're baptized. So that's chapter 10 and 11 is going to be a review of that. So in chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So apparently uh, they were playing, uh, what is it? what's what's it? telephone charades? You know that game where you whisper down the lane? Is that the name of it? So apparently whisper down the lane had happened. Peter and uh, his companions had gone uh, to Cornelius and they had received the gospel and the spirit of God. And the word of that, the story about that, some sort of rumor about it worked its way back to Jerusalem before Peter could give a first hand account. And so they have bits and pieces of the story and they've got some questions. And so it says that the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea, so around Jerusalem, they hear this and they have questions for Peter. What is going on? This was not uh, part of the plan. That phrase "circumcision party" there—it says the circumcision party criticized him. That's actually not an accurate translation. I like the ESV, but that's um, it. Just in 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 the actual Greek, it just says those of the circumcision. So it's not saying that there's a separate sect. Of people at this point who are a party in the sense, in the political sense that we think of parties or anything like that. It's just a group of people who are concerned. They're of the circumcision. They're concerned about the law and following the law, the Mosaic law. They're concerned about the traditions and they're concerned about circumcision. Because Peter went to a group that were uncircumcised, who were eating food that was not kosher, they're concerned. And so they make a statement to him that is a little bit accusatory. They say, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. It's interesting that their concern is not on the fact that Jesus, the gospel, was preached to these men. Their concern is the fact that Peter made himself unclean by going to those who they considered uncircumcised and unclean. But Peter, verse 4, began and explained it to them in order. And this is where the review starts of what happened in chapter 10. I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in chapter 10, what we learn is that in the middle of the day, around noon, Peter went up onto the rooftop of uh, Simon the Tanner. And when he was up on the rooftop, he was praying. So Peter, devoting himself to prayer, this whole story, this miraculous, amazing move of God starts with this. Jesus' disciple goes up on the roof and prays he puts himself in a posture of listening. How can God's spirit flow through us if we're not listening and praying? So Peter, he goes up on the roof, he takes a posture of prayer in his heart and his spirit to listen to God and then this happens. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance, I saw a vision. So he falls, as he's praying, he falls into this sort of out-of-body trance-like experience. Something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. So there's this giant sheet, like a bed sheet, And it's it's bent in the middle because it's full of all this stuff. And as it's lowered down from heaven, Peter says, I went over to look at it. He's inspecting to see what is in this thing that's coming out of heaven. And it's all of these animals that according to the Jewish traditions and laws, specifically the Levitical laws, uh, that the Jewish people were not allowed to eat because if they ate them, they would be unclean. And if they were unclean, they could not worship God. And so Peter looks at all of these things that make the flesh of a Jewish person, unclean, unkosher. And he sees this. Looking at it closely, verse 6, I observed animals, beasts of prey, reptiles, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. Nothing common, nothing unclean, has ever been allowed to come into my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. What are the other three uh, repetition? the things that happened three times in Peter's life with Jesus? The denial, right? And the feed my sheep? At the, yeah, at the end of John. So this is... Apparently, this is the way that Jesus speaks specifically to Peter. Three times, Peter denies Jesus the night night of his betrayal, the night before his crucifixion. Three times, he says, I don't even know the man. Then three times, a few months later, before Jesus ascends to heaven, but after his resurrection, at the end of John, the book of John, when Jesus is on the shore and they're out fishing and Jesus calls them in and Peter jumps into the water. He doesn't try to walk on it that time. He just jumps in. And swims to the shore. And he begins to talk to Jesus. And Jesus three times says, do you love me? Peter says, you know I love you. And three times Jesus says, then feed my sheep, Peter. So three times this happens. Peter's in this trance. Three times the sheep comes from heaven. Three times Peter looks at it. Three times the voice of God says, take it, kill, and eat. Three times Peter says, no, no. I will not do that. Nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And three times, God says, what I, listen to what God says. What God made clean, do not call common. I think that phrase is so interesting. God doesn't say, what God made clean, he also made uncommon. He says, what God made clean, do not call common. Now, the whole greater point of this vision, the whole greater point of this experience, which is about to be revealed to Peter, isn't actually about food, is it? What is this thing actually about? People. People. It's about people. Yeah, it's about people. It's about image bearers of God. And so what God is actually saying, He's speaking about people. He's saying to Peter, Peter, what God has made clean, do not call common. There are implications for this, both in our own individual lives and also in the way that we see and treat other, other people. What God, what, what God has made clean, do not call common. So this happens three times. It's preparing Peter's heart for what's about to happen next. This happened three times and all was drawn up. It's sucked back up into heaven and he's left sitting there on the rooftop What in the world just happened? And what does it mean? Verse 11, and behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers, so now now Peter, you can just see him as he's, talking to the Jerusalem church, he says, these six brothers, so apparently the guys who went with him to Caesarea are with him now in Jerusalem. So they're his witnesses. These six brothers also accompanied me. They went with me. And we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And here he's talking about Pentecost. He's talking about the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. The same thing happened in this uncircumcised Gentile house, this group of people that are not Jewish, that are considered unclean, that are considered not a part of God's covenant, people the spirit fell on them in the same way that it did on us at the beginning and I remembered the word of the Lord how he said John baptized with water but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ who was I that I could stand in God's way when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Just now, the Lord, uh, something was brought to mind as I, I was just saying that. And it's, it's Mary when Gabriel shows up to her and he says this impossible thing. You will be with child. Now Mary's a virgin, right? That's not possible. Just like walking on water is not possible. Just like God's good news of salvation going to a Roman uncircumcised Gentile is not possible. And when Gabriel says, you will be with child and he will be the savior of the world, what does Mary say? You're all Beatles fans, right? Know that song? Let it be. (laughs) May, May it be to me according to your word that is the most powerful posture that a person can have with god that is that is the single most powerful posture that we can take with god may it be to me according to your word let it be done according to what you and you alone god say in that moment as the spirit of god is flowing in mary's life in a way that she did not anticipate did not expect, and didn't even have a chance to, he didn't ask her if he wanted that role. He told her that was that role. And and so she finds herself in the rip current, right? She finds herself being swept away in this current that she was not anticipating. And instead of fighting it, what does she do? She leans back into the hands of her God and says, may it be done to me according to your word. This is the same posture that Peter's taking in this whole story. We've seen earlier, like I was talking about, with him denying Christ or with him sinking in the water where he fights against that a little bit. But listen to what he says here. He says in verse 17, If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And so Peter as Jesus' disciple, having walked with the Lord, learning to trust his Savior, learning to trust the Spirit of God, he submits to the way that God is working, even though it's the last thing he anticipated and certainly not uh, expected. He leans back and he trusts God and he's swept away in this incredible story. That image of the river that I was talking about, I'm going I'm to turn there because it's an amazing passage I only have this one portion on the slide, so if you want to follow in the scriptures, you can turn to Ezekiel chapter 47. In Ezekiel, there's a series of visions about the new temple, and it's this picture of, of heaven on earth which the apostle John then has very similar experience and revelation. But Ezekiel has a series of of revelations about about what the new temple is going to be like, not not the physical temple in Jerusalem like, but the eternal when when God fully reigns, what that will be like. And listen to what he says in chapter 47. He says then he this is this man that's giving Ezekiel, a divine tour, a supernatural tour of this temple. He says, then he, that man, brought me, Ezekiel, back to the door of the temple. And behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple. So underneath the foundation, underneath the threshold of the temple, water is flowing out. It's bubbling out toward the east for the temple faced the east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Then he brought me out by the way of the north gate and led me around on the outside to the outer gate that faces towards the east. And behold, the water was trickling out on the south side. So this water is not only flowing out of the temple, it's flowing out of the city gates. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. So at first, when Ezekiel steps into the water, it's only ankle deep. Verse 4, again, he measured a 1,000 cubits and led me through the water, and now it's knee deep. So the further this thing is going, the deeper it's getting. And he measured a 1,000 cubits and led me through the water, and now it was waist deep. Verse 5, again he measured a thousand, and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the water had risen, it was deep enough to swim in, a river that could not be passed through. And he said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Do you see this? Do you understand the significance of this? The further that this water flows, The more that it goes, the deeper that it gets. In this story with Peter, he's up on the rooftop, he's praying, and this trance happens, and it's not what he expected. The water's ankle deep, and it's flowing in a direction he doesn't expect. And then he's pondering it, and then the three men show up, and they say come to Cornelius the Roman soldier this Gentile and the spirit of God says go with them and now the flow is is getting a little bit deeper he finds himself not only having this experience with the unclean food that God had previously said don't eat now he's saying to eat this is very confusing now he's going into a Gentile home something he's never done in his whole life something he's avoided like the plague so that he wouldn't be unclean and the water's getting deeper and then he finds himself there these uncircumcised people these people who who aren't clean in any sense of the jewish uh, laws or, or traditions and god's spirit falls on them and fills them and now the water's flowing way beyond his head this river is just flowing it's a rip current and he has no ability to control it but he leans back into it son of man have you seen this then listen to this description In Ezekiel 47, it says, Then he led me back to the bank of the river. As I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on the one side and on the other. So both sides, there's lots of trees. And he said to me, listen to the description of the water that flows out of the temple. This water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into Arabia and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. This dirty, unclean salt water, as the water from the temple flows into it, it actually transforms it and it becomes f- uh, fresh. Verse 9, and where, wherever, wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there that the waters of the sea may become fresh, so everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea from Ingeti to Inglame. In it it will be place, it will be the place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the Great Sea. But its swamps and marshes will not become fresh, for they are to be left for salt. and on the banks on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month. Because the water for them flows from the sanctuary, and their fruit will be for food, and their leaves for healing. This is a description of the water of life that flows out of the temple. Now look at Revelation chapter 22. This is the very end of our New Testament, the very end of our scriptures. John is having a very similar experience to Ezekiel. He's having this revelation of of heaven... Uh, And on earth, he's having this revelation of the new Jerusalem, the new temple. And it says in chapter 22, verse 1, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Same river. Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God. So it's not just flowing from underneath the temple. It's flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It's flowing from Jesus this river of life is flowing from Jesus through the middle of the street of the city also on either side of the river the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations no longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will be will worship him they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more they will need no light of lamp or sun for the love for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This flow of water, it is one of the dominant pictures for how God describes His Spirit. There's three main pictures for the Spirit, three main pictures that the Scriptures come to over and over again. Wind, fire, and water. These are the descriptions of God's Spirit, each of them. Each of them flow. Each of them are unpredictable. Each of them are dangerous. Each of them cleanse. We are cleansed by water. There's a refining fire that purifies metal. And hopefully, if you have a bunch of leaves in your yard like mine, the wind blows (laughs) and cleans your yard. There's a cleansing element to, to each of these pictures, an unpredictability to each of them. You can't control wind or fire or water. You have to respect each of them. And that's how Jesus says we enter the kingdom. It's like the wind blowing. You can't, there, no one knows exactly how it happens. It's not a formula. It's by God's spirit blowing. Listen to what Jesus says about his own spirit. And the way John describes it, in John chapter 7, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Think about those pictures we just looked at. Where does the water flow from? The river of life? From the what? The temple, right? Where is God's temple now? In us, Jesus lives within us. Our very bodies are God's temple. He sits on the throne of our heart, of our soul. And out of our very hearts, out of our very souls, as Jesus reigns within us, the water of life that we just read about in Ezekiel and John flows from us. And what does it do to whatever it touches? It brings life to whatever it touches as it flows. Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now listen to how John commentates on this. What does John say about this? He says, now this he said about what? The Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So if you take what John said and you take what Jesus said and what John described about it, what Jesus is saying whoever believes in me, abides in me, lives with me, the Spirit of God will flow in them. God's Spirit will flow in them, causing a river of life to pour out. In that description of the waters, bringing life to what was dead in Ezekiel, that is exactly what happens in Peter's life in this story. They would have seen the Gentiles as dead Apart from God, no life, salty, unclean, unfit to eat with, unfit to dine with, unfit to be with, and in relationship with. And yet, as God's spirit flows out of Peter bringing the good news about Jesus, his reconciliation, his redemption... The Messiah, the kingdom, as it flows out of him, it begins to bring life to everything it touches. And he finds himself in this place that was once considered unclean, once considered set apart from God, once considered dead. And God says, what God has made clean no longer call common. And so from this day forward, Peter and everyone else in the church, including you and I, when we see... Another fellow image bearer of God, no matter where they're from, no matter what culture they're from, no matter what language they speak, no matter what they eat, no matter how they dress, no matter what they smell like, no matter what their education level is or lack of education level is, no matter their disabilities, no matter their struggles, no matter their sin, no matter what, we are to see them as clean and God desires them and loves them and wants nothing more than to have them in His kingdom. What God has called clean, including you, friend, as you struggle to look at yourself as God sees you, do not call common. Because when Jesus looks at his image bearers, he does not say, oh, there's just another one of those. He says, that is my precious child. God's spirit wants to flow in all of us in the same way it did for Peter. This is a normative experience. Say it again. God's Spirit wants to flow, desires to flow in each of us the same way it did in Peter that day. We saw how Peter fought against the the water and sunk. Each of us have fought against the water of God flowing in our lives and have sunk like a stone. We've all had that experience, Amen. But we can also learn, like Mary or like Peter, to trust God and to submit to His love and surrender to His love in such a way that we lean back and trust the flow of His Spirit in our life. This is to be the normal way of life for people in the kingdom of God. This is to be a normal day for us where we start by devoting ourselves to listening and hearing God's voice. And as we listen and hear His voice throughout our day, whether it's at work, school, at home, with our neighbors, wherever it is, we lean further and further into it, trusting Him, following His Spirit, being people like Jesus promised that as we believe and abide in Him, water of life pours out. That's not the only place He said that. He said that in John 4 to the Samaritan woman. He said that. uh, That's talked about in 1 John. Um, 4 I believe but that that picture is repeated where Jesus is the water of life Uh, John 6 as well where it bubbles up within us to life that is to be the normal experience for us so I just want to invite you for a moment into a posture of prayer I want to invite you to listen to God's spirit this morning how would he desire to bubble up and flow in your life think about work think about home think about the situations where God has called you Uh, to live and to work and to walk. And just for a moment, be quiet. Devote yourself to listening to God's Spirit. Think about the water flowing from His temple. Think about His temple being within you now. Think about His throne being within you now as Jesus reigns. And invite Jesus to pour out through His Spirit the water of life on all those in your life. Father, thank you for the way that Peter learned to trust the current of your wind, the current of your river, the burn of your fire. Hebrews 12 describes you as a consuming fire. Your spirit is like all of those things, and we can't control your spirit. We can't fight your spirit. We can't overcome your spirit. We are to submit to your spirit, trusting your spirit, trusting your word, trusting Jesus within us. Not so that we can go off and make our own kingdoms, but so that we can flow with your kingdom. Agreeing with the words of Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I pray for each of us, God, help us, help us flow with you. Not just this morning, help us flow with you tomorrow in our places of work school wherever we're wherever we're going help us flow with you in our daily lives this is where the kingdom just has so much power in our day-to-day lives not just in special moments like this although this is important the kingdom is at hand when we're sitting at our desk. The kingdom of at hand is at hand when we're walking through the grocery store. The kingdom is at hand in all places because the kingdom is within us because You are the King reigning within us. Help us flow with You, God. Help us be a group of people that flow with You. We invite You to do this work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit. Father, we invite you, God, to move among us, to flow among us. You and you alone are our risen hope, all our hope is in Jesus all our hope is in Jesus there's no other man there's no other, there's no other person there's no other kingdom there's no other work there's no other promise there's no other philosophy or theology there's nothing that can give us hope that bubbles up within us to life, an abundant life that bubbles up within us to a flow, a river that flows in us to touch other people to bring to life it's Jesus alone jesus alone you and you alone god there are so many things that i am tempted to put my faith in and trust in other than you and they are all garbage they are all rubbish here today and gone tomorrow people are like the grass of the earth they're here today and gone tomorrow they wither and die God, our life is like a moment to you and all that this world has to offer is just momentary. So God, we repent of that. We change our minds about those things and we realize that you and you alone are the source of life. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no way to God except through Jesus. And we invite your spirit to flow in us. God, we bless you, we love you, and we pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks for being with us this morning. God bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you. Go with God. Have a wonderful week.